Welcome to Bracket U, a college basketball bracket podcast brought to you by Delphi Bracketology. This is our 13th episode of the season. We're in our eighth year of bracketology, and we wish to bring uh, you weekly updates. Uh, We've been off for about 10 days, but uh, update as the tourney gets closer to let you know where your favorite team might be uh, uh, in regards uh, to the seeding for the NCAA tournament. This podcast is for all you junkies whose match March Madness is uh, kicking in. Uh, we're able to create new content that, thanks to the sponsorship of Coca-Cola Bottling of Kokomo and generous donations of our followers, which we've received a couple. Uh, we have this VCU flag in the back uh, from one of our VCU followers. We appreciate that uh, very much. And uh, we also got a, a nice check in the mail from one of our local uh, supporters here that goes to pay for our web fees and that goes to pay for our food and, and things like that when we meet. So thank you for all of you who have been very genuine, generous in our uh, donation. Special thanks uh, to Bob Thompson for creating our intro music and to Jared Morris of the Assembly Call for inspiring us to branch out. I'm Brian Tonsoni. Joining me this evening are our editors, Cade Nelson and Luke Smock, and tonight we'll be focusing on the bubble. Uh, but before we get to the bubble, we'll discuss a few items from the top of our seed list, and I'll try to get uh, my voice uh, to settle down and, and be normal here so we can have a conversation. Uh, one of the things that we talked about in our meeting today, guys, um, is the number one seed. We think there are three that are pretty solid. Uh, there are four teams, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, or Auburn, who might be uh, a number one seed. Cade? What? Uh, which one of those four would you place on the number one seed line? I think I like Kansas the most out of the teams that we have uh, kind of selected here. They have the best uh, non-conference strength of schedule out of all the teams, and they're 15 and 6 in quads 1 and 2, and obviously that's a pretty good record, as well as having six road wins. Um, I just think that all those numbers there are a great case <clears throat> for why they should be on the one seed, as well as having multiple quad one wins over Baylor, Texas Tech, Michigan State, and Iowa State. I just think that really you can't get any better than those numbers, as you can see that most of them are the best out of the teams we have, and like you just can't really compete with good numbers. So, And, and Kansas was on the one seed line right in the reveal, I believe. Uh, yeah. yeah, they were the fourth number one. Yeah, but they've lost a, lost a few games. Luke, uh, which team are you going with? Uh, would you uh, discuss if you were in the committee? Yeah, I think it's between um, Auburn and Duke for the last one seat, and I was looking into it. Um, I think I'm going to lean towards Duke just because their um, their top wins, I would say, are better than Auburn's top wins. Uh, they beat Kentucky and Gonzaga, and beating Gonzaga is a very big deal I feel like and that's what I think pushes him to be a one over Auburn who's been struggling recently I, I think um, I, I would tend to go with Duke a little bit because of their quality of wins they're low number one I think Kate is spot on for me it's between Duke and Kansas uh, the ba- Baylor Kansas outcome uh, shifted that more to Baylor uh, and dropped Kansas in my mind uh, Kansas has the quad wins uh, and the quad one and two Kate is absolutely correct it's kind of hard to look past that uh, but I think Duke's quality, and I think the committee liked Duke because we were surprised that Duke was a two seed, which shows that this committee might be looking at the types of losses uh, and some of those quality metrics uh, 
performance metrics, predictive metrics that uh, offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency because Duke is very, very good in those areas. So our second uh, question here before we get to the main topic is, what seed should Wisconsin get? Wisconsin's leading the Big Ten, likely to at least share the Big Ten title. They have outstanding quad one and quad two uh, records, I believe nine and seven, 16 overall. Their predictive metrics, the offense and defensive efficiencies, are not um, as good as some of the other teams on the two and three seed line. So, Luke, where do you, uh, where would you argue Wisconsin needs to be, and where do you think they'll end up based on what we know about the committees? Well, I mean, I would argue them to be. Well, I would argue them to be a two seed, and you want them to be a two seed with the with the resume that they have. But sadly, you have to look into the net and where that's at. And them having a 20 net, I think it's kind of hard for us to move them up to a two. I think if they can get that net within around the 15 range, you could you could get yourself to make the move um, because they're they're nine and three in quad one, which is the best tied best with Baylor for the best percentage in quad one of anybody in the country. Um, so I think the net is the only thing holding them. Um, as a three seed for me. Cade, uh, where, where would you put Wisconsin, and then where do you think they'll end up? I, I think Cade is either uh, frozen or really thinking through this question right now. So, Cade, we'll pop you back out uh, and, and get reconnected, and um, we'll go forward. I, I agree. Man, you win the Big Ten, a tough conference. You, you have those kind of quad numbers it just seems that it should be a number two seed. But the net, and I know people say the net is a sorting tool. It's not an absolute thing. Yeah, we are very aware of that. But tradition and, and trends have shown that the top two seed lines are generally um, are generally single-digit seeds. And Wisconsin being a 20 would really put that trend um, in, in a spot. So um, I, think, I think it's um, – obviously going to be uh, either a two or a three seed for Wisconsin unless they stumble here down the stretch. So we have several live viewers. If you have any questions for us as we start talking about the bubble, go ahead and put those in the chat. Uh, we'll see them and we'll try to answer them here uh, before uh, the evening is over. But we're going to talk about 19 teams that we have for 12 spots. Uh, and there's a few teams ahead of them that uh, may be seated too high right now. Our seed line from line nine – through 12, and even some on the eight seed lines, all have resumes that could be moved down lower. Uh, other teams could be on our 11 seed line, and we can make an argument that they could be a nine. Uh, we really have some work to do, and I think that it'll be a struggle. Um, it'll be a struggle to uh, eventually be very accurate on this nine to 12 seed unless things settle in. So uh, we, we have uh, Cade back with us now, but we'll, we'll go to the, to the bubble here. Uh, and we think there are five types of teams, uh, and it depends on what the committee is going to emphasize, that those teams will be higher in this 9-12 to 12 seed lines, and the other teams will fall more towards the cut line. There are teams with a higher number of quad one and two wins and or some quality wins, but they have really tough predictive metrics, those offensive and defensive efficiencies. Um, those teams you want to put in because uh, they have beaten teams uh, that uh, have high nets. 
but their offense and defense and their overall net ranking is not very high. Second, we have teams with very few quad one wins or combined one and two wins, but they have really good offensive and defensive efficiency metrics. Those are tough, too, is how do you compare a team with one quad one to a team that has four or five? That becomes difficult in seeding. Uh, then you always have the non-conference schedule, which the committee likes. You know, How do you deal with that? Uh, there are teams in both groups one and two that we just shared that have good non-conference schedules and really bad non-conference schedules, and you try to mix that in. Then you have the injury group, uh, and, and there are teams like VCU, which we'll talk about later, which had a significant injury, someone out for eight games. That was their starting point guard. What impact does that have on a resume that might not match up with other teams? And the fifth type of group is the lower opportunity group. They have decent quad one and two wins, but they're a lot lower numbers than your power five. Uh, these are your mid-majors, what we call the lower opportunity group. Uh, how do you rank them and compare them to teams from major conferences who get a nice win against a named opponent, and that named opponent looks a lot better than a win inside your own smaller conference. So those five things give us some pause, and we're going to break it down for you right now uh, and talk a little bubble. So, Cade, um, we're going to pick teams, and then we're going to talk about the resume, and then we're going to debate uh, where where we see them. So, Cade, go ahead with your first selection. My first selection is Wake Forest, and I, th I think – Wake Forest is a team that um, kind of slips under the radar with their 36 net. But when you look deeper into them, their strength of schedule is 337. And in the last full year of the bracket, uh, Iowa was the only team with a 300-plus strength of schedule. Uh, and their strength schedule was only 302. And they had a 43 net in their – Record in quads one and two was only 11 and 10. So I think, I think taking all that into consideration with Wake Forest's quad one and two record being five and eight, I definitely think that there's a case to be made for them to move down or maybe even move out depending on how they do in the, the last – Yeah, Wake Forest is interesting because um, they're they have those low quad one wins, uh, but but they're twenty three and eight and thirty six. Those predictive metrics are outstanding. Um, I we have them as a ten seed right now. Uh, very easily could be at eleven or in the first four out. Luke, your thoughts on um, Wake Forest? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, they're just a hard team to read because they're they're in the ACC, which has been down this year, and they they haven't had as many opportunities as you would think. Um, but they've won. They have a good record. Their net shows that they've won a lot of games. It's just the quality of wins. So how do you weigh that versus a team like Rutgers that we're about to talk about who's the complete opposite? And so we, we have a question in our chat uh, from Alec. Thanks for asking. Uh, what does Indiana have to do uh, to at least get in the first four? They're they're gonna have they're gonna have to try to beat Purdue. If they don't beat Purdue, then it's gonna have to be a rather long run. At least win one, two, or three games, get to that championship game. Um, you, you're probably gonna have to count on at least two wins in the Big Ten tournament to even 
be considered for that last four. And at that point, that's Friday. Uh, You would win that game on Friday, and the committee is almost done selecting teams on Friday, Saturday morning. So if Indiana does lose to Purdue and then uh, wins the 8-9 game and upsets the number one seed, uh, they they would have a shot. But without that, uh, without a a win at Purdue really gets them uh, a, a boost. So that's probably priority number one. All right, Cade, your second team that you want to talk about. My second team is Oregon, and I think that, you know, looking at Oregon being our last team in right now is the biggest thing that I see is their 59 net being able to hold them in right now, as well as their 27 non-conference strength schedule. So those two things, I think, hold them in just because, like, a 59 net really isn't that terrible, and they also have some solid wins over UCLA twice with one of those being on the road and then as well as having five road wins. I think all those factors are able to hold them in, and the biggest thing that might you know look to drop them out is those three quad three losses. So whenever you can have uh, a net lower than 60, I think you're pretty, pretty safe, especially when you're able to beat UCLA twice. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think my those, next team is Oregon. I think those wins uh, matter. Uh, in fact, that's why I, when we, I did the sorting this afternoon, I moved them in because um, I, I wrote out a 19-team uh, list spreadsheet on paper instead of using Google Sheets. But Oregon, Miami, Creighton, and Rutgers all have three quad 1A wins, the best quad 1 wins you can get. Uh, and Oregon uh, was in that group. And so I decided that if wins matter, we're going to put all four of those teams in. Uh, and that's still open for debate. But um, I, I do think Oregon has a shot simply because, as Cade said, those two wins over UCLA speak volumes. And uh, those are the uh, – Oregon's three, Miami's four, Creighton's five, Rutgers six, quad one wins um, – are almost as much as anyone else. Uh, Xavier has five. Wyoming has four, but they're they're the lower types of quad one wins. So I think we got to look at Oregon. Uh, earlier on, I thought those three losses were the determining factor to keep Oregon out, uh, but uh, they're getting a, a serious look from us. Luke, any thoughts on Oregon? Yeah, I think the hard part for me um, in having them in is that they're in the Pac-12 and they're just sitting at 17 and 11. I don't think – the Pac-12 is a strong enough conference for you to have a record like that and hold your spot in the tournament. Um, they do have some big wins over UCLA, but also if you look at the flip side of that, they've lost to Arizona State twice. Stanford got blown out by BYU. And um, California, they lost by 14. So, I mean, this is, they're a very hard team to judge, but I feel like if it were – if it were my decision, I don't know if I would be able to have the men. Yeah, that I'm not advocating much for them. I I think they're they're really a team that is out. I just put them in for consistency of argument uh, to to start out. Um, so, all right, now Luke, we'll go to you. You have picked two teams to talk about that are on the bubble. Uh, fire off with your first team. I'm looking at the comments, and I do. Uh, I do agree that they said that about about the Pac-12 last year, and UCLA did have something to say about that. Um, But my first team to argue is Rutgers, and 
I think you just have to look at the teams they've beaten. You got to be pretty amazed. Um, they've beaten Purdue, Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Illinois, and then also they just beat IU last night. Um, I think those wins are just flat out amazing. Um, I know they've had some really bad losses, like we were just talking about with Oregon. But I think their top wins outweigh Oregon's top wins because outside of Oregon's two UCLA wins, I'm not real sure what else they have up there. And Rutgers just has a list that keeps going. Uh, Cade, your thoughts on Rutgers? Cade must be having some internet issues uh, up there in his house on the north side of, uh, of, of Delphi. Um, Rutgers almost has to be in now that they dropped to a, a net of 75. They have to win against Penn State, I believe, is their last game. Uh, they play someone they should win at home. I, I I believe it's at home. And then they would they would have to really, really work hard to not lose that first game. I think, I think they may, depending on where they end in the tournament, uh, if they're six, they're likely to play the 11 or 12. If they're seven, uh, they'll play the 10th place team. That first game they can't lose because that would be a, a, a bad loss. I think they're almost at some point safe. We have them in the in the first four just because all of their metrics are bad except for their wins. Uh, their net of 75, their losses, their non-conference strength of schedule, everything points to them um, being not uh, a, a tournament team. Cade, uh, thoughts on Rutgers? I I like them, and I like their amount of uh, quad one wins and all those quality wins. And I think I've been saying it like right as they started to win all these games that I was really pushing for them to be in the tournament. But with a road record of four and nine, I think that, you know, obviously ha like having road wins is good. But when you're able or when you're only able to have only four of them, like I think – if you're being such a good team late, I feel like you need more uh, road wins to really like solidify yourself even more with those quality wins to stay in the tournament. So if anything, um, I'm not sure if their last game is on the road, but if it is, that'd definitely be a big game for them to win. Uh, your uh, next team, Luke. Yeah, I'm going to look at um, SMU next. And to me, they're just a really tough team to dissect and try and figure out because their their resume is just pretty bland, to be honest. They're 5-5 five and five in the first two quads, and they have one loss in both quad three and quad four. Their net's at 49, which is just okay for the conference that they're in. You would like to see it a little better. Um but looking into games that they've played, I know we don't like to go head-to-head, -head, but they did get blown out by Oregon, which could maybe play a role here. And also, like we've talked about this week um, in our meetings, they've beaten Memphis twice, which says something as well. And they they potentially could play them again here in the tournament. And I think for them that that game might play a pretty big role and they might have to, to win that game to get in. That That's going to be interesting because – that's a Saturday afternoon semifinal if the two seed and three seed, which I believe they're going to to match up, I'll have to double check that when the tournament bracket comes out. But if they're the two and three seeds, they will meet up Saturday evening. 
and if SMU wins, they have beat Memphis three times. And, and again, it's the total body of work, and it's not head-to-head. But, man, it's awful hard to put a team in that's also kind of on the bubble uh, that you beat, you beat three times, and they beat Houston, the champion. And I do think sometimes, you know, you're supposed to compare every team to every team, uh, to be fair. But I do think sometimes if the American Conference is a good basketball conference, and if you have teams that are on the bubble – that team might get in rather than your fourth team, fifth team from the Pac-12 or your eighth team from the the. If everything's even, that additional conference. Um, I, I think we're, when we talk um, VCU, uh, the A10 is that way. Davidson's been really good. You got uh, VCU, and, and you've had, got some good teams in that conference. It's been very, very competitive. You wonder if the committee will push to to give that conference a, a, another bid as long as that team is close and tight with some other teams. I don't think they would ever do that and jump a team that was more deserving. But if you're looking at Oregon and you're looking at Wake Forest and you're looking at VCU and SMU and, and it's, it's a close uh, resume, you wonder if they'll go with that, that extra conference. Um, Kate, any thoughts uh, on SMU? Yeah, I agree with uh, Luke in saying that I don't necessarily – like them to move up i know that obviously with any of these teams that we're talking about right now you can make a case for them to move up but we've kind of talked about quad four losses and how those can kind of be uh, outshined by having quality wins but smu being a team with only two quad one wins they don't really have any wins to outshine a quad four loss so to me those those two losses in quad three and four really stand out when you're not able to, you know, win the bigger games that you need to to kind of open people's eyes to how good of a team that you think you are. So my team on the bubble that we just recently moved out uh, here from Indiana is Notre Dame. Uh, the Fighting Irish um, are uh, lost a tough game to Florida State. They are um, in the metrics two and six in quad one three and two in quad two for a combined record of five and eight. They have a quad three loss. Um, their performance predictive metrics, 50, 52, 50 are some of the lowest of the teams. Uh, if you average those are a lot lower than a Memphis, a North Carolina, Wake Forest, uh, Virginia Tech, even inside their own conference. Those metrics, uh, offensive and defensive efficiency are, are lower. The plus for them, uh, they've just taken some conference losses uh, plus the um, that were towards the quad three at Boston College is probably their worst loss. The other ones on the road to Texas A&M are neutral against Texas A&M from the SEC, uh, and Texas A&M has 17 wins. Florida State has been a traditionally strong uh, team, not so this year, and lost by four just the other night. And then everything else is a quad one loss. Um, but they're in a group, uh, guys, of our bubble teams that are out. Loyola has two quad one. Notre Dame, two quad one. Florida, SMU, four teams that we have there have two quad one wins. And when you look at the teams that we have in, uh, on a, VCU is the only at-large with two that is on the bubble. You have Wake Forest and North Carolina who have some other issues with one. So we kind of – didn't absolutely say if you have only two quad one wins, but it, it does show that these teams are struggling. Um, Cade, your thought on the Fighting Irish? I was just looking at their road wins and their 
quad one and two wins combined. And looking at uh, Wake Forest as well, we talked about them earlier. They are only five and eight in quads one and two, as well as Notre Dame. So I think that Notre Dame has a chance, an outside chance, to be considered to be in. And obviously, we had them in at one point. But having those seven road wins um, definitely looks good on a resume, as well as that non-conference strength, strength of schedule of 29. So, you know, they've been playing people. They just haven't been able to win. But they have been able to win on the road, which the committee definitely takes into consideration. So that, to me, is the biggest thing for Notre Dame and their chances to get in the tournament. I'm glad you brought up that strength of schedule. I skipped that 29th non-conference uh, schedule. That's really outstanding. So Notre Dame uh, challenged themselves in the non-conference and that's that's the reason we've had them in, as well as the Kentucky win at home. Uh, Luke, your thought on Notre Dame? Yeah, I think they just fit into um, what the ACC is this year, and that's a conference that has not had many quad one wins at all, and that's through the board with Wake Forest, um, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, and also someone else we were looking at, Virginia Tech. They all – none of them have a high amount of quad one wins or – quality quad one wins um so it's very hard to look at these teams in the acc for me um and just notre dame i agree that they should be out because they really outside of kentucky have not done much at all to be real honest and, and so my last team um here over my shoulder is our our new banner uh thanks to uh ps ram fan uh, at uh, VCU underscore Ram on Twitter. Uh, one of our uh, loyal VCU followers said that we didn't have enough uh, VCU stuff in the Indiana man cave down here. And since we have VCU in and Indiana out, and that pains me because I, I, I'm an Indiana grad, I thought I'd put up the banner tonight for you, uh, PS Ram fan, if you're, if you're watching. Uh, it'll probably stay up uh, until Selection Sunday and, and hopefully uh, – they win at St. Louis. Uh, I think it will solidify their berth uh, or two. But VCU's interesting. VCU played its first eight games without its starting point guard. They lost four games. Two of them are bad losses. One is to Wagner, who was uh, one of the best teams in their conference. Uh, they lost to Chattanooga, who is one uh, a one or two seed in their conference tournament. And then they lost to Auburn. Not Auburn. Um, I'm going to have to double check that here real quick they lost to Baylor by eight without their point guard they lost to Connecticut in overtime by seven those are teams that, that are on our one seed line and five seed line without their starting point guard since he's been back uh, they uh, have only lost three games uh, and none of them are quad three and four so they're two and two in quad one they're four and four in quad two. That's a 500 record. Some of the things that we look at, um, their strength of schedule is outstanding, uh, especially for an A-10 at 67 non-conference. So they challenge themselves in that uh, strength of record and KPI are outstanding ahead of everyone else. Their predictive metrics of offense and defensive efficiency are low. That's why the net at 48, Sagarin 47, Ken Palm 61. Uh, those would be the reasons. And just the best win um, for VCU is Davidson, who is the number one seed. And besides that, uh, the, there is not there are not too many wins against the field. That's going to keep VCU out. And I think that's why VC out, VCU is out of a lot of brackets, uh, if you look at the bracket matrix and other uh, sources, because they don't have many wins against the field. 
But remember, VCU played last year and was the only team that got struck down by COVID and couldn't compete in their first game. The committee always does something a little bit uh, different than people expect with that last bid. Um, And if VCU is close enough to have a debate between two or three teams and they do okay and get to the championship uh, of the A-10, which would be played Sunday, uh, so there's another late tournament that will mess with our bracket, uh, and the injury effect, I think VCU is going to sneak into that first four at least. Um, Cade, any thoughts on VCU? I definitely like them to be in the bracket right now, and I think that their strength of schedule being at 65 kind of trickles down into every other stat you look at because sometimes you have a team like Wyoming where their non-conference strength schedule is 177, and then you look at everything else and you're like, well, their metrics are good, but they're not really playing anyone. Well, VCU has a 65 strength of schedule, and they've been able to win nine games on the road and only lose seven games total. So that I think those two numbers to me are the biggest thing that really stands out on their resume. They might not have the greatest wins or biggest wins, but just the fact that they've been able to take advantage of their good strength of schedule and win games on the road, I think that keeps them in. The road road record is a fantastic um, comment there, Kay. Luke, your thoughts on, on VCU? I know – I know they probably should be out mathematically and and what we've done. I just have a feeling. I hope I'm not selling that uh, to you guys or whatever. It might be, might need to you know throw it in my face a little bit here and get them get them out a little bit. But um, I, I do think that this is that group of teams that have limited opportunities. They scheduled well. They play well on the road. They're 500 in those quads. I I think they might get in. Yeah, I think I agree. Because if you look at it, a nine and one road record, even though they're not in the toughest conference, going nine on nine and one on the road is tough, no matter what conference you're in. So I think that is what is um, holding them in, honestly. And also, it might partially be by default that they're getting held in because they're 500 in the first two quads, and even though that's a low number and it's only two in quad one and four wins in quad two, um a lot of these other teams that we're looking at are even worse than that. So even though they don't have the strongest resume, I think they're holding on by a thread. You know, you, you make a good point that 500 in quad one and two is interesting because there's teams that are two games under 500 in that, in that combined and have three quad three losses or have some quad four losses in there. And that those losses are the one thing I don't quite understand how that committee uh, values them. But when you, you look at a team who's only quad three losses to Wagner who, who has won over 22 games uh, in a smaller conference, and it was early without the point guard. Um, and it's from A-10, a, a typically uh, good conference. St. Louis uh, has been close. Uh, Dayton made a run to be in our bracket at, at one point. St. Bonaventure, until their loss, uh, was close and had a good resume. So it's not like that conference uh, is a, a weak conference. That is a solid conference. That's one of those situations where I think the committee is going to look at a lot of other factors other than quad one and two wins. So uh, we, we got about five minutes left. I, I see some questions coming in. We'll try to answer questions if you do. Uh, Jack R., we talked about Indiana a little bit earlier. We'll give you the synopsis. Indiana is not done, but it doesn't look very good. Um, 
you know, I think it's going to take at least two wins, uh, regardless of where they come from. Obviously, a win at Purdue would be a lot better. We mentioned Big Ten tournament. You're going to have to make a long run for your Hoosiers. Um, okay, so as we end every episode, um, we do a, a game winner, uh, which is our question of the week. So we'll go to Cade first. Which team that we have in do you predict will fall out and which team that we um, have out will jump in by our next podcast, which is likely to be Sunday? I think the team that falls out, kind of looking at it now, you know, I was just talking really great about them, but um, I think it's VCU to fall out, and that's sad to say. But I think the team that moves in for them would either be uh, Loyola Chicago or Notre Dame. And I'll touch on Notre Dame moving in as we already did before. But I like their non-conference strength of schedule and their road wins. And that, to me, is the biggest thing that pushes them in, uh, especially being in a, a base off this year. But a fairly tough conference, playing in some strong games, winning games on the road. I think that Notre Dame definitely has a solid chance of being in. Luke, um, which team do you predict to fall out and jump in? Yeah, I think, like I was saying earlier, I think Oregon's the team to fall out for me. Um, I listed all their losses that they've suffered, and it's pretty hefty, <laughs> like I was saying. And I think the team that um, replaces them is Loyola Chicago. Um, they have a strong net, and they're just one game under 500 in the first two quads. And they did also um, play a really tough non-conference strength of schedule, which you got to credit um, these small teams for doing that. Um, so I think they most certainly would jump back in over Oregon if I were the were the final decision. Um, boy, this is tough. I'm going to go for a reach here. Uh, I'm going to say Wake Forest, maybe not by our next podcast, but by the first ACC. Uh, their non-conference strength of schedule really worries me uh, a little bit. I know we have them at that 10 seed line, but if they lose a couple games, uh, in, in reality for me, it, it's probably Oregon uh, jumping out, and, and I agree. I think Notre Dame is the one with the win, um, might jump in. Uh, we'll let you guys know more. Uh, we have another question from um, uh, Sean McNearly. Uh, appreciate uh, your follows on Twitter and appreciate you being here uh, listening to us for this half an hour. Uh, we, we need good supporters and good followers. You, you ask outstanding questions on, on Twitter. Uh, and so is non-conference strength of schedule a big deal when figuring out teams? Uh, the games were played early. So, so there's two things. Luke, uh, Cade, anyone want to answer that, why we look at non-conference? Uh, Luke, go ahead. Yeah, I got it. Um, I think the biggest thing is looking at – we'll do a little comparison here. You can look at IU, for example, who's got a 316 non-conference strength schedule, and then you can look at Loyola Chicago like I was just talking about. And IU, the problem they're struggling with right now is that they have no big-time wins. Um, they they kind of loaded up their non-conference just to get pile up these quad three, quad four wins, which they did – but then you get into your Big Ten play and you struggle a little bit, and then you don't really have that leeway to help you help you stay in the tournament. And Loyola, on the other hand, um, they've lost some conference games that they probably should win in order to be in the tournament. But when you play a tough non-conference strength of schedule, it allows you 
it allows you to lose some games because you're going to have big games that you can win that really boost you. So, I mean, in a perfect world, you win them all, but that doesn't happen. And I think loading up your schedule and playing the tough ones really pans out in the long run, even though it's early in the season. Yeah, and I will add, um, Shaw, that uh, the committee in the past has said they like to see teams schedule tough when they have control over it. Uh, the conference schedules the conference games, and, and schools do not have control over their conference schedule. And in a lot of conferences now, it's unbalanced. So you have games you play against uh, teams two times, then some teams you play against one. So that's why conference schedule or conference record is not part of this. Um, you know, Indiana, uh, seven of their nine wins are with teams that will be seated 11, 12, 13, and 14 in the conference. They, they only have two wins and then when you go to the non-conference, uh, Syracuse isn't in, and they've lost to Syracuse. They beat St. John's. St. John's is not going to get in. Notre Dame is out for us. So their, their three best non-conference wins are teams that aren't in the field. That's, that leads to a problem that usually shows up. Uh, Kay, did you want to add something? Yeah, I just wanted to say that um, having like a good team – or not necessarily a good team. Sorry, Mr. Tonsoni. But a team like Indiana – where they're in the Big Ten, they're automatically going to play um, good games like being in the Big Ten. So scheduling tougher games in non-conference, it helps balance teams out. So obviously with those Big Ten teams, they're going to have that really solid conference strength of schedule. So for the teams that um, aren't necessarily in such a great conference, it helps them to kind of match up and look the same as they would when being compared to such a strong conference like the Big Ten. And Sean, second part of that question, the games were played early. There used to be a, a um, piece of data on the team sheets that was your last 12 games, last 10 games, your record in those last games, thinking that momentum mattered. They took that out because they didn't want uh, – it was unfair. Uh, you have 20 Big Ten conference games. What if you played the toughest part of your schedule down the last 10 and you went 5-5 five and five, but you were – you know, nine and one in the in the previous ten conference games, so you're fourteen and six overall. But the the conference scheduled you uh, the tougher teams. That was happening, and the NCAA thought that was not fair. So they went to this total body of work, which means the first game, uh, November 9th, is just as important as the games that will be played uh, this week or next week. Uh, I do think the committee does take into effect mentally teams that are hot and teams that are struggling. You have Michigan State that's dropping, Xavier that's dropping. Uh, you, you have some teams like Rutgers who are hot. And I think that's fair. It's just not a formal criteria stated in the NCAA rules of wherever they, they state their rules about selection. But I think if I was a committee member, I would be arguing in there with a group of 11 other people, the committee's worth of 12. I'd be saying Rutgers has beaten lots of good teams and been 7-4 and four against top-ranked teams in the Big Ten in the last two months. They deserve to be in. A lot of their losses were early. It seems like Rutgers figured it out. So it would be a point of discussion, the recent uh, play, but it's not official uh, what what you've done. And then similar to Xavier, I, I think you're going to say, you know, Xavier's got a lot of quad one wins. They got them early, and they're not playing well. I think that will affect their seeding probably more than, than their selection. So, um, Jack, uh, how you doing? I, uh, good to see you in here. Uh, I will say this about Joe Lenardi, and I want to make sure because we get a lot of credit for being better than Joe Lenardi and, and Jerry Palm, and, and, and we're proud of that. 
Joe Lenardi is the grandfather of bracketology, and what, what we do here is because he got it started uh, in a class um, – uh, college class and then on ESPN. So I have a lot of respect for, for Joe and, and, and Joe's popularity um, has hurt his um, accuracy because he's got to do the script as ESPN wants it. And then he's got to be on camera. And um, you know, we have 12 eyes looking at it uh, and we meet every week and then we talk and text each other and have these conversations where we can iron out some things that might get missed in a very busy media schedule for uh for joe so um while we're proud of that and a lot of people always tweet out that we're better than these guys um you know uh i i have a lot of respect for joe because of of what he started and this whole industry uh wasn't is isn't available if if it wasn't for him so um that that's that's why we might be a little different uh on vcu or or other things uh, the the main thing too I, with some people that we respect in the bracketology they when we started this in 2015 2016 it was total quad one wins quad two wins and strength of schedule I mean you had to beat people when they went to the net in 2019 they added uh, the offense and defense which was statistics that show how well you play that has added a whole new twist. Um, because you have teams with low numbers of wins but great offense and defense, and you have some teams with great wins like Oregon with some numbers that aren't very good. And so that becomes a little bit more difficult, uh, and we've only had one full year, 2019, where everyone played everyone. Uh, 2020, we had another year where everyone played everyone, but we never got a bracket because of the COVID shutdown, so we, we, we can't. We don't know what the committee was thinking in 2020. And then last year, we used that information to help us make decisions. But a lot of teams didn't play a full non-conference um, schedule. Uh, and so it's it's fair to look at what the decisions were last year, but it, it wasn't complete because of more COVID restrictions. So we're still in the learning process with this net. Again, I think that's the reason why you'll see a lot of bracketology miss on stuff. Uh, we're trying our best to be accurate and give you guys the, the best information we can. One last question. I'll throw it around to you guys. Uh, Cade, Michigan, um, our thoughts on Michigan? Yeah, I think that they've been kind of on a hot streak here late, you know, being able to beat Purdue and these solid Big Ten teams. They're almost like a Rutgers, but they don't necessarily have as many big wins. But the difference between Michigan and Rutgers is, is the fact that Michigan has been able to keep a solid net, even though they've been a or they've been losing uh, a bunch of these games. So I think that they're definitely a strong team, and I like them to be in. Luke, Michigan. Yeah, I think the only thing that even keeps them on the bubble is their overall overall record, and we've talked about being four games above five hundred, which they are right now. So hopefully they stay there, and we don't have to discuss this again. Um, that's the only thing truthfully holding them back. Their net's strong um, and their resume's strong. And they have one of the toughest schedules in the country overall, not just the Big Ten. So their overall record is the only thing that's really even making us talk about them. Other than that, they're for sure in. Yeah, it, it, It's crazy because we have a rule. you got to be four games over 500 or we automatically drop you out. That doesn't mean that we'll keep them out in the final – draft next week uh, on Selection Sunday when we have to submit our final draft. 
But we just do that to try to sort teams. We've had Michigan, a nine seed, and then they went to 15 and 12. Then we dropped them out. And no team usually goes out to nine, out to 10, <clears throat> but Michigan does. We think if Michigan gets in, they're probably going to be a nine or a 10 seed. Um, they, they really need to get one more win. I think they have two tough games. They have Iowa. I think it might be tonight even, um, or soon, Iowa at home. Um, they pick up another win like that. I think you're going to see them in um, regardless. And then <clears throat> they're probably going to be a seven or eight seed in the Big Ten, and, and it would do them wonders to, to win. They're going to get in trouble if they lose the next two home games and they're 16 and 14. Then they lose the uh, first round of the Big Ten and get 16-15. They're going to be out. So – Michigan is not safe. Um, yeah, tonight at 9, I, Iowa at, at, at Michigan. And, Jack, then Michigan State in trouble at all? I don't think they're in trouble of being out. Their, their seeding is, is an issue right now. They're down 11 as we are taping this on Tuesday night at the end of the first first half. And, um, you know, they're either – you can go – I've seen sevens. Uh, places have them sevens. We have them as an eight. Um. They could be an 8, 9, or 10. I don't see Michigan State dropping out. And that brings up the last thing I'll say. <clears throat> there needs to be 68 teams. Um, you know, that, that gets to be – some years it's like, who are we going to ever put in because there, there needs to be 68 teams. We're down to about six or seven teams that are out that we're willing to put in at this point. We think everyone else is pretty much already solidified being out of the tournament. So a team like Michigan State, Xavier, yes, they're falling, uh, but will they fall out? I don't think so. Um, so, fellas, thank you for your time tonight. Um, keep texting me all weekend any results uh, that we need to move on our spreadsheet. Uh, those of you who joined us live, keep asking us questions uh, at any time on uh, our Twitter handle. Uh, we, we love interacting with our fans. We love educating our fans. It's not about hating teams, liking teams. It's not about being selfish and trying to win this bracketology thing. We just like sharing uh, what we do, so keep, um, uh, keep uh, asking us questions. But that'll do it for this episode of The Bracket U. Uh, we'll be back uh, probably Sunday. We haven't scheduled one officially yet, but we're going to look at the weekend games and then come back with some content on Sunday night. We'll have our TV studio show, second-to-last TV studio show on Tuesday. We have a big meeting on Wednesday. That'll be one of our big final pushes uh, where we solidify the bracket and then just have some scenarios based on the last games of the season. Be looking for those shows Follow us on our website at uh, DelphiBracketology.com. We'll put out a new seed list and bracket tomorrow. Uh, and again, at Twitter, at Delphi Brackets. So check out our donation page, too. Uh, whether it's a, a flag, we'll take that, and appreciation or, or, or whatever. Uh, it does help us with uh, food, fees, and, and other things. We appreciate that. Um, so for Cade Nelson and Luke Smock, uh, we're wishing you a good night and that your team uh, continues to win the big games. Mm -hmm.